0: What's going on, Fuse? How are we doing tonight? We doing good. We're excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Man. Uh, I just, I love you guys. I'm so pumped to preach tonight. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet here in Anderson or at any of our campuses across the state, my name is Drew Hankins. I am the Spartanburg Fuse pastor. So week in and week out, uh, I get to hang with my family up in Spartanburg and, and build Fuse the same way that it's happening in your city, in your context, wherever you are. That's what I get to do in Spartanburg. And I am so excited to be here tonight to, to kind of put a bow on and, and wrap up and uh, uh, dig in to what God has for us in this final series of Living Legacy. Anybody enjoyed this series so far? Anybody a fan of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy? I don't know about you, 2 Timothy snuck up on me. I found out we were doing a series on 2 Timothy, I was like, okay, cool, 2 Timothy, you know, I guess that's a book in the Bible. And then it has just absolutely wrecked me the last couple of weeks. And so, as we've been talking about Living Legacy and since, uh, Caleb kind of outed me a couple of weeks ago that I, I live in Spartanburg now, and I'm the Spartanburg campus pastor, I'm sorry, Fuse pastor. Um, but I actually grew up here in Anderson, and uh, I played football at T.L. Hanna High School. Go Jackets. I don't know if any of you guys are in here. Uh played football at T.L. Hannah High School, and so um, Caleb kind of outed me on this, and since we're talking about legacy and we're getting to know each other, I figured I would let you guys in on my legacy as a high school football player. So if you talk to anybody that was around like T.L. Hannah, you know, football program back when I was playing a couple of years back, there is one play that they're going to remember about Drew Hankins' time at Teohanna High School. And we were on the road. It was the fourth quarter of a tight game, less than four minutes to play. We are in the lead. We're up three. We're driving down the field. I drop back. I throw a pass. DeAndre Hopkins catches it and scores a touchdown to clinch the game. That is the play that is like my legacy. If you ask anybody about it, they're gonna talk about the time that I threw the ball. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He scored a touchdown and that sealed the game. The problem with that story is me and DeAndre Hopkins didn't play on the same team. I threw an interception to DeAndre Hopkins. He ran it back for a touchdown, and Daniel won the game, and still to this day, that is the play that if you ask anybody about, like, they remember the time that I threw a pick six to DeAndre Hopkins. That's my legacy as a high school football player, and uh, that's a silly story about my legacy of something that doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things, but let me ask you this question tonight, Fuse. What legacy are you going to leave? What is your legacy going to be at your high school? Because here's the deal, we're all leaving a legacy. You know that, right? You don't have the option of leaving a legacy. You are going to be remembered for something. There is something that your teachers, that your classmates, that people at your school will remember about your time there. What is your legacy going to be? Because we all leave a legacy. Everyone leaves a legacy. Very few people live a legacy. Let me put it this way, everybody leaves something and has a legacy from their time in it. Very few people live intentionally about the legacy that they're going to leave one day in the moment. And that's what you have the opportunity to do. Knowing that that you have a legacy, that there is going to be something that a mark that you leave, that there's going to be something that you leave behind at your school in your relationships with your teachers, with the place that God has put you now, you have the opportunity in that to decide what that legacy is going to be. And that's what this series has been about, right? Caleb started off by talking about guarding the deposit that God's given us. That this Christian life isn't like a a passive thing where God saved us one day and then we just kind of like hang out and go through the motions until one day we go to heaven. No, we have the responsibility to guard what God has given us, to protect it, to grow and fan into flame this thing that God is doing in our hearts. And then Stacy brought just a phenomenal word last week about the importance of us working, working to get what is ultimately worth it. The fact that God, again, doesn't just kind of like save us and send us on our way and be like, all right, you guys figure it out and then I'll come back one day and and it'll all be great. No, we have to to work to grow the thing that God has put inside of us. If we're going to guard this deposit, we've got to work to grow it. And so as we've been looking at legacy over the past couple of weeks, we are going to finish up the book of 2 Timothy tonight. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 that's where we're going to be. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. So we covered 2 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 2, the last two weeks. And tonight, we're bringing it home with chapters 3 and 4. And 2 Timothy, if you didn't catch this from the last couple of weeks, is a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men of God to ever walk the earth, wrote and left to his protege, his understudy, his fuse group student, if you will, Timothy and it is, listen, the last thing that we ever have from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Like after he wrote the two chapters that we're about to look at tonight, we hear nothing else from him forever. So do you think these are a big deal? Like, do you think the final words that he wrote to this young man that he had been investing in, pouring into, that, that was supposed to carry on the legacy of one of the greatest men of God of all times, so do you think it's a big deal what he put in this letter? Probably. So as we look into it tonight, let's have that lens... And that perspective and that uh, posture approaching this, that, that, man, we're gonna lean into this and realize that, that what's written on these pages is a really big deal. And to kind of set us up for getting there, I got a question for you. Anybody like camping? Anybody a big, big camper you love going camping? A couple of us, a couple of us. Okay, anybody hate camping? Anybody like never? No, not my, okay. So we're about 50-50 in the room. I am, I, I don't have Chacos, so I can't be that into camping, right? Um, And I don't wear nearly enough Patagonia to be like really into it I don't even own one of those hammocks you can hang between trees that seems dangerous anyway So i'm i'm not I wouldn't say that i'm like into camping. Here's what I would say I love the idea of camping You know what i'm saying? Like the it gets like fall weather. It's like crisp outside The leaves are changing and and something in me is like, you know, it would be awesome sleeping outside That just sounds amazing because the weather and the leaves, and and for some reason, I just like have a lapse of judgment where I'm like, sleeping in a house is overrated. I want to go outside and sleep in a tent and be super terrified all night and really uncomfortable, and then remember, this is why we built houses, so we don't have to do this anymore, and every fall, it seems like just about I get the itch to go and like actually try camping, right? So a couple of years ago, me and my buddies were like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. Let's go camping. It feels great outside. Let's get a trip together. And, but all of us worked and we're kind of doing it last second, which is always a recipe for a disaster. You know what I'm saying? Like if you put last second in front of any trip that you're about to describe, that trip has potential to be an absolute disaster. And uh, you're going to catch on pretty quick that that's how this one went. So we decided we're going to go camping Uh, My friends, we meet up at my house at 7 p.m. because no one can get off work. So it's already dark outside. We throw everything in the car and we are gonna drive two hours from my house in Spartanburg to a place in North Carolina to go camping. All right, so we leave my house at 7 p.m., it's dark outside. We have a two-hour drive to where we're gonna park and then hike to set up our whole camping spot. But but we're all in good spirits. You know, like, whatever, it's gonna be dark at this point. Let's just own it. I got my sugar-free Red Bull, my ranch sunflower seeds, and my sour gummy worms. So I got, I got my, my travel kit, you know what I'm saying? It's sunflower seeds, anybody else? Like, if I'm going on a car ride, I am going to have sunflower seeds, and my mouth is gonna be raw by the time I get to wherever I'm going. But it's gonna be amazing. So I'm in the car, we're having a good time. And we get about an hour into the trip, and again, it's it's dark. But we start passing all these signs for Asheville, like Asheville next, you know, Asheville next exit, downtown Asheville. And I'm like, that's weird. I didn't know you went through downtown Asheville to get to like Pisgah, where we're going. But I'm like, whatever. I'm kind of a control freak. I'm gonna let my friend handle this. He's got it in the GPS. No problem. This is gonna be great. Well, about an hour, hour and a half later, we're driving, and we start noticing Tennessee license plates everywhere. And I'm like, man are a lot of people from tennessee hanging around this part of north carolina this time of year and then it dawns on us something ain't right so we pull over and we look at the gps and my friend who i love his name's matthew garrison he's here tonight you need to give him a hard time about this later he had typed in the wrong pisgah national forest into his gps so we had been driving for two and a half hours it's 9.30 at night, and we are still two hours away from where we are going to go camping. Anybody ever been lost before? Anybody ever been lost? Isn't that a terrible feeling? Like, like you set out to go somewhere, and you think you're in the right, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you, this is not where I wanted to end up. And, and not only that, but I don't know where I am. <laughs> not only am I not where I was trying to go, but I don't even know where I am right now. So here's the end of that story. We drove to where we were going to camp. We slept for like three hours, it poured rain, and then we left. That's the end of that story. But here's what I'm gonna bet tonight. That in a room this size, wherever you are, whatever campus you are uh, across the state, wherever you're sitting right now, there's some people in this room that you can resonate with that lost feeling because that's how you feel right now. Like you're not where you set out to go. You're not 100% sure where you're at, but you set out to find happiness, fulfillment, joy, Whatever you thought was gonna fill you up and it ain't working. And you're pulled over on the side of the road and maybe you're at fuse tonight because you have that deep sinking feeling of something ain't right. I don't know where I'm at, but but I'm not where I set out to go. Maybe that's you in this room tonight. And if that's not you individually, can we just agree on this? That is certainly our culture and our world, right? I mean, it's as if it's as if like, our culture and the world around us tried to type in like happiness and like misspelled it and ended up somewhere way off from where they intended to go. It is as if the world around us has searched for happiness, peace, fulfillment, joy, purpose in all of the wrong places. And wherever they've ended up is not where they set out to be. And this world around us is searching for something and it's not able to find it. And so when you're lost and you don't know where you're at, and you don't know how to get where you're trying to go, there's a couple of things that you need to figure out. And the first one is this, you gotta know where you're at, right? Like if you're lost and you're gonna get unlost, you've gotta figure out where you are so that you can do anything else. Because if you don't figure out where you're at, you're never gonna figure out step two, three, four, five, six from there, right? So the first thing you gotta figure out is you gotta figure out where you're at. The second thing that you gotta figure out is how to get where you wanna go. You gotta figure out where you're at You've got to figure out how to get where you want to go. And the apostle Paul lays this out for Timothy. And I think the way that he lays it out for Timothy is going to be really helpful for us tonight. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter three. And this is kind of how Paul sets it up. And remember, he is writing to, to Timothy, his understudy, the young man that he's been investing in, that he's getting ready to hand the baton off to. But there's a lot of applications and implications for us in here today. And he says this, verse one, but understand this that in the last days, Timothy, there will come times of difficulty. So Timothy, days are coming and it's gonna get bad. Like things are gonna get crazy. It's not gonna be anything like anything you wanna be a part of. In fact, I'm about to describe for you, Timothy, what these days are gonna be like. Here's some descriptors of what people are gonna be like in these days that are coming for you and for us that are gonna get really bad. Here's some descriptors. See if this describes our culture in any way today. For people will be lovers of self. I don't know. Maybe they'll invent a word like selfie, or be really obsessed with themselves. Lovers of money. Anybody know any lovers of money? Don't point. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Now I know none of you guys wrestle with that, right? But we're, we're talking about other. There are lots of other people that we know that are disobedient to their parents, right? ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So days are coming, Timothy, when out there and in the church, people are gonna be chasing everything but God. And if this doesn't describe the world that we live in today, I don't know what does. So Paul gives us our location. Here's what things are like outside the church and even inside the church, right? There's going to be people who look the part, who act the part, who say all the right things, but they deny the power of God. They look like godliness, but they completely are empty and void of the actual power that godliness is supposed to produce in your life. So inside and outside the church... This is where Timothy found himself. This is where we find ourselves today. That's our location. So, Paul is going to give us two directions for how to get where we want to go and then a destination. Y'all with me? He's going to give us two directions and then a destination. And these directions are kind of like, you know, go left at the gas station and stay on that street for a little while and then right around that tree. Like, they are not necessarily like related to each other, but they are directions on the journey that Paul has called us to take on how to navigate the world that we live in. So the first one is this, an example to follow. Write that down. The first direction that Paul gives is an example to follow. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11 says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So I want you to write this down. I am following the example of, and then draw a blank. I am following the example of, and draw a blank what goes in that blank for you something goes in that blank for all of us like you you're not the one person who is like you completely live in isolation and nothing else influences you so, there is an example that you are following somewhere maybe it's your friends Maybe it's the like people that you wanna hang out with at school. Maybe you're a freshman or a sophomore and the example that you're following, the thing that you're trying to be like, the thing that is directing your life is some juniors or some seniors that you're trying to be like. Maybe for you, it's not like a specific person that you're following. It's more kind of like a social media, like lifestyle that's out there, that that's what you're trying to become. That's the example that you look at. That's the thing that that is determining what you are trying to be. What goes in that blank for you? And I have some, some, some good news for you because that can sound negative, but here's the good news. You get to decide what goes in that blank. You get to decide what example you're going to follow. So it can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, but you have the power to decide who is the person that you're going to give the influence and the authority in your life to actually follow them, to actually be like them to actually look at their life and say, I wanna, I wanna be like you, I wanna live the life that you are living, I wanna be the kind of man or woman that you are becoming one day, you get to decide what goes or who goes in the blank of the example that you're following. So I wanna give you two tips on how to do that. The first one is this, it has to be someone that is ahead of you. Hebrews says this, look at, look at the life of your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You can't consider the outcome of the way of life of your friends, right? Because you're in the same space as them. You're in the same place as them. You guys are in the same season going through the same thing, and you can't look at what they're doing right now, what it's ultimately going to produce. So you have to have somebody further along than you, then you can, that you can look at their life the same way that Timothy looked at Paul's. And you can say, I see the life that you're living. I see the man that you are. I see the the ministry that you're carrying out and I'm going to imitate that. I'm gonna use that as the example and the standard to live by. And let me just say this before we move on to point number two. Um, Don't let yourself out on this one because you're in a fuse group. Because some of you guys, let's just be real. Some of you guys in fuse group, this is you. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? Nothing. What'd you get out of the message? I don't know. That So you're in a fuse group, you have a fuse group leader, but are you actually leaning into their life, asking questions, seeking to get better, asking them what they see in you, both your giftings and the places that you can get better? Are you at, Do you actually have a leader that you like genuinely want to be like and are seeking out to be like them? Because if not, you don't need to let yourself off the hook here. You need to say, who is the person that is further along than me that I'm trying to be like? The second direction that Paul gives us is this, a discipline to develop. A discipline to develop. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 says this. But as for you, Timothy, Continue in, develop further, get better at, grow in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? Anybody know? The scriptures, the Bible, right? This, the sacred writings. You've been acquainted with these, Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul's saying. Timothy, Continue in reading, learning, understanding, growing in your love of the Bible, your understanding of the scriptures. And, he, and here's just what I know some of you are thinking right now oh my gosh, this is so obvious. Like, of, cu- of course, we're, I know we're supposed to read our Bible. We talk about reading our Bible all the time. Like, I get it. Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But I want you to feel this this is one of the last things that Paul ever said to Timothy. Like in his last final opportunity to say anything to Timothy, what he says to him is, continue in the scriptures. You don't think Timothy knew to read the Bible? Like if it feels obvious to us, you don't think it was obvious to Timothy? Like of course he knew to read his Bible. But Paul still felt the need to say, Timothy, no, listen, it's a really big deal, man. Continue in the scriptures. And then not only does he tell him to continue in it, he breaks down why and why it's such a big deal to be in the scriptures. And he says this, verse 16, all, everybody say all, all All scripture is breathed out by God. Does that remind you of anywhere else in the Bible? Breathed out by God, God breathing. Anybody think of any other examples of that? I heard somebody in here said it. Genesis, right? Early in Genesis, what happens early in Genesis where God breathes? Well, he starts creating the universe, right? And he's speaking, and he's speaking like planets, stars, earth, water, trees, mountains. He's just boom, 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 creating, creating, creating. The word of his mouth is going forth and creating. But then he stops and he gathers together some dirt, some dust of the earth, and he breathes into it. When he breathes into it, it comes alive and it is made in his image. So God breathes life into something that then image bears and reflects him. And so here's what I want you to know tonight. I don't love reading my Bible and I don't read my Bible because I just really like reading books that are long. Because I just really like putting my eyes on something. I read this because this is, God, this is God's revelation to us of who he is. This is his word that he breathed to give us who he is. And when I read this and when I spend time in this, when I read these pages and when I learn and see who God is and his word that he has given us to reveal to us who he is, it breathes life into my soul. There is life to be found here because it is breathed out by God. And if you you wanna know who God is, listen, I hope you love worship music. I hope you love your friends and your community. I hope you love praying. I hope that you have all kinds of spiritual disciplines that you've put in your life to grow in your relationship with Jesus. But if you wanna know who God is, you have to go to his word because this is what he created. This is what he wrote. This is 66 books with one story and one message. And that is a revelation of who God is for us, his people to read, to learn, and to have him speak into our lives. That's what this is. It's not a a cold, dead, ancient manuscript of some Hebrew scripture somewhere. It is a living, active, God-breathed word for us to know who he is. Isn't it awesome that God gave us that? Isn't it awesome that he didn't say, I mean, you guys can probably figure it out by looking at the mountains and the trees and all that good stuff. I created all this beautiful stuff. Y'all just kind of put it together. No, he gave us a, a word to tell us who he is. And when we open it and engage with it, we learn who God is, and in learning who God is, we learn who we are, and we learn who he's called us to be, so all scripture is breathed out by God, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, now I know what some of y'all are thinking when you hear that, because I would be thinking the same thing maybe if I was in your shoes, Um, when you hear teaching, reproof, correction, and we're talking about the Bible, your first thought is, I knew it. Like, I, I just knew, like, if I read the Bible, God's just gonna, like, get after me. He's gonna get after all my sin. He, he, he's gonna tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. I knew that somewhere in there, there's all these promises of, yeah, God's gonna do all these amazing things. But, like, every time I hear it or I read it, I feel like he's just telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. And so I wanna set it up like this. Most of us probably think, I wouldn't say most of us. I think some of us think you're convinced that if you, tomorrow morning, actually, like, set your alarm, and you got up, and you hit snooze, and you hit snooze again, and you hit snooze a third time, and that time you actually did get up, and then you walked downstairs, because you were going to read your Bible and engage with God, he'd be sitting at the table like this, well, 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 look who decided to show up, hadn't seen you since Gauntlet, you ready to start talking? Here, I got all your sins back from since the last time we talked here, uh, and he'd scroll through and he'd be like, where, where, where should we start? Let's just, let's just start here. And then he would just go through and give you like a bunch of spiritual spankings that he's been waiting to give you since the last time that you got in his word. That's not who God is. That's not what he wants to do through his word. It is a revelation of who he is. Now that, that doesn't mean he's not gonna cut you. That doesn't mean that the Bible's not gonna cut. Hebrews says that the Bible is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it can divide bone and marrow It cuts us, but listen, God doesn't cut like a butcher. He cuts like a surgeon. He's not just gonna start like lopping off limbs because you sinned and messed up and so he's just gonna start hacking away at your life, whatever, no, he's gonna cut like a surgeon. How does a surgeon cut? Precisely, directly, exactly, and why does he do it? To get underneath and remove things that, listen, will kill you, will kill you. Nobody wakes up from surgery and looks at the surgeon and is like, Dude, you cut me. Why did you do that? Like I, ju- I had this tumor that was like killing me on the inside, but I didn't know you were actually gonna cut me in the process. Nobody does that. They wake up and they say, thank you. Thank you. I had something in me that was eating me alive from the inside out and you took it out. And that's what the word of God does. It cuts, but it cuts like a surgeon, not like a butcher. And you don't need to fear the word of God entering into your life because the things that he's gonna take out are just the things that are gonna kill you. Just the things that over time, if you let them grow, if you don't address it, if you don't deal with it, they will end up robbing you of everything that you ultimately want. Those are the things that he's gonna cut out through his word. And so I know that nobody in here probably is shocked that we're talking about reading the Bible. Like you're probably not, you know, sitting there like, wait, hold on. We're supposed to read the Bible? Like, I'm actually, like, it's actually a good thing for me to read the Bible. Like, bro, wake up, wake up, wake up. Did you hear what he said? He said we're supposed to, like, actually, like, read the Bible. I didn't know we were even supposed to do that. That's probably nobody in here today. Probably you've heard for years and years and years that you should be reading your Bible. And, and, but what I believe is, though most of us have heard that for most of our lives, probably a lot of us in the room aren't reading our Bible like probably a lot of us in here, it is not a normal, regular thing in the rhythm of your life for you to open up God's word and read it for yourself. Why is that? Why is that? And I think there's three uh, excuses that we make when it comes to reading the Bible. The first one's not legit. The second one's kind of legit. And the third one is actually pretty legit. So drum roll, please. Here's the first excuse that we make Well, why we don't read our Bible. I don't have enough time. Ever used that excuse before? I don't have enough time. Here's the deal. If that's what you're telling yourself as to why you don't read the Bible, I love you, but you're a liar. You know how much time you have? Exactly as much time as every other human on earth. That's how much time you have. You have the same amount of time. We all have the same amount of time. And, and, and if, you could, if I could look at the screen time on your phone and find time where you could be reading your Bible, then if you're telling yourself that time is the reason you're not reading your Bible, you're a liar. And you're lying to yourself. Because see, you could lie to me all day and, and whatever. You could lie to your fuse pastor, your fuse group leader. But listen, I'm just asking you, please don't lie to yourself. Time is not the reason that you don't read your Bible. You make time for all kinds of stuff that you wanna do. There's, there's other reasons you don't read your Bible. Time is not one of them. The second reason that uh, a lot of us in here that we don't read our Bibles, and I think this is kind of legit, is you might say, man, honestly, dude, I just don't think about it. Like I just wake up, I'm tired, I don't really wanna go to school, but I kind of wipe the sleep out of my eyes, I make myself go to school, I do my thing, I go to school, I go to sports after, I get home, I got homework, I'm tired, and nowhere in my day does it occur to me that I should read my Bible. And, 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 I think that's kind of legit. Like, I don't think you're lying if you say that. I I don't think you're like you're you're being deceitful if you say that. I think there really are probably a lot of us that wake up, go through our day, and we never really think about reading the Bible or engaging with God's Word. And here's just where I want to challenge you, if that's you in here today. I believe you, but at some point, you've got to take personal responsibility for your relationship with Jesus. Listen, your fuse group leader is awesome. I know it. They're not your spiritual babysitter. Hey, Mary and Caleb are, listen, world-class preachers and communicators, world-class. Your fuse pastor is incredible at preaching God's word, but they can't force feed you everything you need to know about God and everything that he wants to speak to you once a week for an hour. At some point, you gotta take personal responsibility for what you wanna see God do in your life. And so if you don't think about reading God's word and it's not something that ever comes across your radar or something that you need to do, That's that's legit, but you need to deal with that. And you need to be willing to grow up and fight for something that you want to be a part of your life. The third reason that I think we don't read our Bible is legit. I think this is really the reason that a lot of us don't read our Bible. We don't want to. Like, you just don't want to. Like maybe you kind of did it at Gauntlet for a little bit, but like everybody else was doing it, and it seemed cool. But like you got back, and then there were things you didn't understand in it, and it didn't it didn't feel like you got anything out of it. And so you just honestly, you just don't love it. You just don't enjoy it. You just don't feel like you're getting anything out of your time in the Bible. And so you just don't want to. And if that's you, let, let me just say this. That's that's legit. Like I don't want to undermine that you feel that or tell you that you don't actually feel that. Because I think that for a lot of us, if we're honest, that's the reason that we're not doing it. It's the reason that we don't make time for it. It's the reason that we're not creating space to to spend time with God and his word. And I just wanna tell you this, um, you can want to, because I know how this sermon can very easily go. It can very easily go, get over it. You don't wanna read your Bible, you should. So figure it out. Start wanting to. And then you leave here, and you're like, God, dang it. Like, I know I should want to read my Bible, but I don't want to read my Bible, and I'm, I'm a terrible Christian, and God's probably mad at me. And you just leave here dejected. Or And then what you try to do is you take that shame and that guilt, and you try to channel that into you wanting to read the Bible. And so maybe that gets you a day of reading the Bible, maybe that gets you a week of reading the Bible, but eventually you feeling guilty that you don't isn't enough fuel in the tank for you to keep engaging with God's word. And I just wanna wanna put this hope in front of us today. And I want you to approach God's word with the faith and belief in your heart that listen to me, you can want to, You can, God can put the desire in your heart to engage his word. He can make you love it. He can speak to you through it and kindle a fire in your heart that will make you love engaging with God's word. King David says this. He says um, that he meditated at night on the law of God. Like he like, that dude, he loved it so much. He was literally laying in his bed at night, like giddy, excited, thinking about the law of God. None of us are doing that. Like the law, I don't know if you've ever read the law, but that's a lot of rules, a lot of lists, a lot of things, but something about it just ignited his heart. And I want you to know, you can have that too. It's gonna take a little work, but you can have that too. And I think that's the reason that Paul says this in the remainder of 16 and into 17. He says that that scripture is good for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Anybody in here play a sport or an instrument? Any, any athletes, any people? Okay, how good were you at that instrument the day you picked it up? Like if I made you come up here and play on this stage, the day that you like first ever picked up a guitar or a flute or whatever, how humiliated would you be for everyone to see that performance? If, you, if you're an athlete in here today, Um, How long did it take you to actually get like good at that sport, to master those things? It doesn't happen overnight. It takes training to get good at it. Paul is very intentional to put this word here that, that you're not gonna get better at anything that you don't commit to getting better at. That you're not gonna grow in anything. You're not gonna want to do anything that you don't start with a disciplined decision that I'm going to do this. I'm gonna to commit to doing this. I'm gonna train in this and grow in this. Stacy said it so well last week, right? That if it's worth it, you have to work for it. If it's worth it to you, you'll put the work in for it. And here's the, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God and about God's word, is that it's not like some things where you train for it, but the training is always miserable. The practice is never something that you love. The training process is always just the necessary evil to get the result that you want at the end. No, reading God's word, actually you fall in love with the process. So as you work it, it becomes more worth it to you. You see what I'm saying? As you get in God's word, as you discipline yourself to engage with it, as you actually pick it up and read it, as you actually force yourself at times when you don't want to, when you're tired and you don't feel like it to open his word and ask him to speak to you, you fall in love with it more and more. And if you'll commit and you'll decide, listen, I I know that right now I don't want to engage with God's word, but listen, I want to want to. Right now, it doesn't feel like that desire is, is burning super strong, but I want it to. Right now, it doesn't feel like that I just like wake up every day, like pumped and excited to jump into God's word, to read it, to commit to doing it, but I want to do that. If you will commit to that, I believe that God in the process of you committing to growing in it will do some incredible things in you. And so two things that I think we can do practically with this. First one is have a plan. Have a plan for what you're going to read. If you just decide that you're gonna like wake up and open the Bible to a random place, you're not gonna get very far. You need to have a planned out way that you're gonna approach the word of God. And the second thing is this, read it with some friends. That's my story. I Listen, I was in the same place as you guys. And Anderson, in this exact room. I grew up coming to Fuse. I loved Fuse. I loved God. He was doing so much in his life. And I, would, I felt so much guilt that I didn't read the Bible that a lot of times I felt like God was like, not doing certain things in my life because I wasn't reading it. Like that, that, that God was somehow punishing me for not being disciplined enough with his word. And then one day, I just decided, you know what? What if I just got together with some friends and we just like read it together? We just like read the same thing and we'll talk about it. And all of a sudden, I started actually getting things out of reading the Bible. And I got to see what my friends were getting out of it. And it stirred my faith. And I kept doing that and I kept doing that. And we started uh, sending each other like the plans that we were doing together. And we would start reading his word together. And listen, that was the bridge that led me to where today I can tell you this. I love reading God's word. It feeds me. It's got breathing life into me. I read this every morning, not because I feel like I have to, but because I feel like I need to. Like I, got, I have to spend some time with God and hear from him and have his word speak to me because I've got a family to lead and a ministry to lead and a life of following Jesus that I wanna live faithfully and I need his word to do something in me to start all of my days. And I didn't just get there overnight. It started because I sat down with some friends and I embraced community and doing this together. And so as we close tonight, I'm gonna read this last um, section of Timothy's, uh, I'm sorry, of Paul's charge to Timothy. Because I think it's our call in here today. As we leave here, as we develop, as we navigate in this crazy world that we live in, how to be a Christian. And we learn how to, how to take the steps that Paul has called us to take, follow the directions that he has called us to follow in order to navigate and thrive in the world that he has, that God has placed us in there's a destination that Paul has for us. And he says this, 2 Timothy four, one through five, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is judged to living in the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. So here's my challenge to you today, Fuse. The destination Your life and your legacy is not just to go through your life without sinning, without messing up, without doing anything wrong. Your destination is a calling. Your destination is a ministry. The destination that Paul called Timothy to, he didn't say, Timothy, listen, things are going to get really bad. People are going to be crazy. The world's going to be crazy. And you just need to, like, go in the woods and build, like, a fort and live there and don't be around anybody in the world because you might get sin on you. No, he said, Timothy, here's some disciplines that you need in your life. You need an example to follow. You need a word that is working in you. And then you need to preach that word to a lost and broken world around you. And that's our calling in here tonight, Fuse. That as we dig into who God is, as we dig into the word that he has given us, our calling is to not then isolate ourselves from the world. Our calling is to go into that world and preach this word faithfully. So if you would, on all of our campuses, bow your heads. And I just want you to to spend a second right now. I want you to ask God what he wants you to do with what he spoke to you tonight. What step has he called you to take? Do you need to join a fuse group? Do you need to have a conversation with your fuse group leader tonight about digging in more to that Relationship and getting more out of what God has shown them about your life and what God has done in their life. Do you need to put a plan together with your fuse group for engaging with God's word? Do you need to make a decision tonight in this next time of worship that we're getting ready to go into that that you're going to give it a shot? That even though there are parts of you that don't that don't necessarily want to, that you don't feel this like overwhelming desire to, that you're gonna trust that God wants to meet you in his word and speak to you. And so you're gonna be willing to put the training and the discipline in place to let God do what he wants to do in your life. What is it that he has called you to do? Father, we love you. God, we are so grateful for your word. God, thank you that you didn't leave it up to us to to scratch and claw and try and figure out who you are and how to get to you, but you, you gave us an example. You gave us your son who died in our place and you gave us a word that we can live by, a revelation of you, words that we can build our life on. So I got, God, I pray for every young man, every young woman across the state who's listening to my voice right now. Lord, would you pour out desire into their heart to love you and to love your word? God, would you start fires in our hearts to know you more? God, would you give us examples to follow? Give us the wisdom of how to lean in, to press in. God, to not just go after whatever we think we wanna be like one day, but God, to pick and choose and see the people that you've placed in our life for us to follow. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for everything that you do for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.